You guys, we're in a, uh, a series called As It Is in Heaven, and this is um, week three, the final week here. And when Pastor David uh, asked me to come speak, I, I jokingly said, maybe, what's the series you'll be in? And uh, he said, heaven, and I thought, oh, you're good, you're good. I think he knew that this is one of my very favorite uh, things to consider and to talk about. But I just got to tell you, the more I study this topic, uh, the more I realize that there's just a ton more to discover. It's like this never-ending well. And uh, not just for the sake of discovery, if you know what I mean by that, or kind of increasing our knowledge and, and walking around like we really know something and we're really somebody. It's actually worth discovering because it has massive potential. It has massive potential to fill every area of our lives with this very real and very lasting kind of hope, if we let it. Uh, I remember back when my wife, Megan, and I first got engaged uh, back in 2000, and uh, she was working on her degree uh, down near New York City, and I had just graduated from Bible college, and I still had no idea what I wanted to do, ironically, uh, but we knew we wanted to get married, and uh, we knew it was going to be a long engagement. Uh, it ended up being two years long, which I do not recommend. Uh, it was also long distance that entire time, which I do not recommend, but the thing that, that kept us steady was knowing that the, the, the distance that was separating us, it wouldn't last forever. And as tough as it was and as trying, as kind of annoying as it seemed in that moment, eventually we were going to be together and uh, we could start this, this next chapter of our lives. And that's kind of what we set our hearts on, right? That's kind of what, what got us through. That was hope. And I love this, this definition. Write this down if you can. Um, it's this. Hope is the confident expectation that something good is coming to us. Hope is the confident expectation that something good is coming to us. And I just got to ask, when's the last time we really felt that? You know, if we, if we look deep down inside of ourselves, we, we ask that question, where is my hope these days? And if you find that uh, answering that question is a struggle, or if you find yourself thinking, I, I don't know, I, I guess I don't have a whole lot of hope uh, let me just invite you along on this journey. Uh, there are some remarkable, remarkable promises about our future that we're going to talk about this morning, and I believe that they can anchor our souls like absolutely nothing else can. Last week, Pastor David reminded us that the present heaven, okay, the present heaven, one day, according to Revelation 21, it'll descend, okay? Heaven and earth will unite, or maybe uh, reunite is maybe actually a better term for that. And God will make all things new, and he'll live among his people here on the earth. Okay, so take a second. Take a second and consider that, right? It'll no longer be us going to heaven to live with God. It'll be God coming down bringing heaven with him to live with us. Hmm. That sounds like something Jesus kind of gave us a foretaste of, right? And this is so cool. And I've got I've to admit here, 
This is a part of our doctrine uh, that isn't particularly well known. And I, and I think that's true even among Christians. I don't know if you sense that. It almost seems a little bit provocative, kind of, in some ways, doesn't it, to say that uh, we're not going to live in the present heaven forever. It's like, wait a second. I learned that in Sunday school, and listen, I, I get it. I, I, it wasn't really until a few uh, years ago that this really started to settle into my own heart. And, and if you're anything like me, there, there's an awful lot to unpack here, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, this place that God calls the new earth. We're going to look at some promises that are just stunners, um, especially as we, can be, we kind of begin to play this out and consider uh, the implications of this, right? What does this really mean for us? What does it mean for our future? But before I do that, uh, I just want to, I want to caution us, if that's okay, um, because I think if we're not careful... Here's what can happen to us. As our confidence uh, begins to build around this goodness that's coming to us, this incredible hope that we have, we, we might start to think, there's a little bit of a danger here, we might start to think, well, let's just kind of get this over with then, right? In other words, we kind of give up. People are, people are too messed up. I'm too messed up. The earth is too far gone. The government is too far gone. It all seems just impossible to really do anything about. So let's just kind of get on with it, right? Like, like what's, what's taking so long here? Now, here's a clue that can help us, and I think this is on the screens. This is 2 Peter 3.9. Here's what it says. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So you see, there's, there's a real difference between kind of wanting to get on with it, so to speak, and the kind of patience that Jesus has, right? He, he doesn't want anyone to miss out on the renewal of all things, this new heavens and this new earth. And even though there's terrible human suffering there's all sorts of injustice. There's just tragedy that's been unleashed on the world through sin. God delays, doesn't he? And he waits, and he continues to work. Why? Because he, he doesn't want anyone to miss out. And he, uh, he's, he knows that this glorious future uh, is coming. And that's just the kind of loving God that he is. And um, when I kind of consider this in my own life, two, two of my very, very closest friends have yet to fully receive the good news about Jesus. And, and I usually can't think about the new heavens and the new earth for very long without, you know, my thoughts sort of shifting to them. Why? Because I, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine those guys missing out. God forbid that. So we need to be careful, I think, to guard against this selfishness, right, of wanting to kind of get it over with, this old world, and, you know, just get to our eternal reward, as wonderful as that will be. So our prayer this morning is that God kind of gives us the love and the patience that he has, right, that nobody, nobody would miss out. So what is coming to us? What's all this talk about a, a new heaven and a new earth? We got to dive into Isaiah 65, okay? Uh, Isaiah 65 to find out. This is verses 17 uh, through 25. This is so good, guys. This is so dang good. Check this out. Look, 
I am, here's what God says, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad. Rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I'll create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I'll rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they've lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live, pay attention here, in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. That's interesting, right? Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards, for my people will live as long as trees And my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They'll not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune, for they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children, too, will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow but snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. So, wow. Wow, 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 wow. There's some serious new earth promises here. Okay, we're going to look at three of them this morning. Renewed work, renewed relationships, and renewed bodies. The first promise, okay, renewed work, and Pastor David alluded to this last week. Remember, one of the misunderstandings of heaven is that we're going to do nothing but kind of sing forever or maybe sort of live in the clouds and kind of float around. I'm not really sure where we got that from, but if you notice here in Isaiah, God's talking about something very, very different, isn't he? And actually, it's, it's far more like what we're familiar with right now than this sort of ethereal kind of existence in the sky. Here's what I mean. Back in Genesis, God doesn't create man and then put him in charge of Eden and give him nothing to do, right? That, that was never the plan. Actually, Genesis 2.15 says the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So right from the start, there's this element of co-laboring with God, right? It's this holy endeavor, okay? It's ordained by God, and I can guarantee you that Adam wasn't worried about when the workday would be over, and he, he, he wasn't uh, worried about, you know, when he'd get paid or how much he'd get paid or when he might finally get promoted. This was like joy-filled work, right? Stewarding creation in the paradise that Jesus actually talked about on the cross, which, which is not this wild landscape. If you look at the, the word in the Greek, that's not what the word paradise means, but it actually is a place of cultivation and order that man tended to. And really, uh, we can only begin to imagine, of course, how stunning Eden must have been, because not only did God create it, but Adam would have had no limitations on his own creativity, right? 
remember now, this was before the fall. So we've got this supremely creative God who makes man uh, in his own creative image. And, and so uh, when you think about it, just imagine what Adam must have been capable of. Now, notice there's uh, reference in verse 21 of our text in Isaiah here to uh, building houses. It's very interesting. God says, in those days, uh, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyard. So you can kind of see the continuation here from Genesis. God's not talking about renewing uh, the heavens and the earth and giving us nothing to do. Right? He invites us into his work. He's not zapping things into existence uh, while he's got creative men and women made in his image sitting around doing nothing. Now, for some of you, you're probably thinking, hey, if I've, if I've got to build the house that I'm going to live in, <laughs> yikes, right? This is not, not going to go well. So um, my buddy, uh, PJ, he's a full-time streamer. Okay, he's, he's on his computer all day long and um, uh, used to work at Apple. So he's kind of a technology thing. You know, that, that's just his thing. And uh, not necessarily a handy sort of fellow. Um, I think I know a certain lead pastor that might fall into that same category. But, uh, but, but PJ's, uh, PJ lives next to a house that, that is actually being flipped. And so there's contractors in and out of there, and he told me that, that one day he was outside, and he's on his ladder, and he's trying to fix uh, a piece of soffit, right, this, this overhang uh, on his house that's kind of dangling down under the roof. And so one of the contractors sees him, and he's like, hey, man, do you need, you need a hammer? Because it, it, it kind of looks like you need a hammer. And so PJ was like, sure, yeah, you know, that'd be great. So, so he lets him borrow the hammer, and is, is PJ's up there kind of nailing the, the soffit, the contractor's watching him, and he says, <laughs> he kind of yells up to him and goes, hey, you work with computers, don't you? So a so, uh, uh, little word to the wise, PJ's not the guy you want building your house on the new earth, and quite frankly, I don't think Pastor David is either, but I believe that PJ and Pastor David and you and I will have a completely renewed ability to learn and a totally unhindered mind with which to learn. But think about, the, think about the gifted builders and the gifted craftsmen you know, right? Is there any builders or craftsmen in here? Where's Gary Houghton? Gary Houghton around? Listen, these, these, these folks are not going to be twiddling their thumbs, okay? In fact, Isaiah 61 says they're going to rebuild ancient ruins, and, and places long devastated, they'll renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations, okay? So builders, craftsmen, architects, engineers, interior designers, you guys are going to have joyful, God-glorifying work to do. And just imagine the teamwork and, and what we'll be capable of with renewed minds, Right When we're stripped of our pride and, and that need for self-promotion and greed. And what about the sciences and technology? These aren't evil things, right? These are God-created and inspired. You know, we've kind of found plenty of ways to sort of lace them with sin, right? But these aren't not inherently evil. 
I mean, listen, science is nothing other than discovering the secrets of God and God's design. That's the stuff he put in place to order the universe. And don't forget that God says he's not just making a new earth, but he's making a new heavens. This is the word that was talked about last week as well that means the skies. Remember that? So this means an entirely renewed universe with trillions of stars and planets. So let me pose this question for us to think about the next time we look up at the night sky. And this one's kind of just for fun. If we, with very, very limited technology from 60-some-odd years ago, and with a very finite and restricted mind that only uses, what, 10% of our brain's capacity, if we were able to put people on the moon, then what could we achieve with resurrected bodies and renewed minds and uh, able to work together in ways that we could only kind of dream of now? I mean, what could Einstein or Galileo, or da Vinci achieve with a thousand years just totally unhindered by sin, let alone in eternity? I think it's worth considering. Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven says, if the heavens declare God's glory now, and if we'll spend eternity proclaiming God's glory, don't you think exploring the new heavens and exercising dominion over them will likely be part of God's plan? He goes on, he says, uh, when we get excited reading Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy or Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, it's not our sinfulness that arouses that excitement. It's our God-given hunger for adventure, for new realms and new beings and, and new beauties and new knowledge. God has given us a longing for new worlds. Later, he says, technology is a God-given aspect of human capability that enables us to fulfill his command to exercise dominion. And we've seen, uh, as we've seen, of course, here in Isaiah, we'll find harps and trumpets and other man-made objects in the present heaven. What should we expect to find on the new earth? Tables? (laughs) Chairs? Cabinets? Wagons? Machinery? Transportation? Sports equipment? Much more? He finishes with, it's a narrow view of both God and humans to imagine that God can be pleased and glorified with a trumpet, but not a desk, a computer, a baseball bat. Will there be new inventions, refinements of old inventions? Why not? We'll live in resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth. The God who gave people creativity surely won't take it back, will he? The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now, before we go any further or jump to any conclusions here, and you guys start wondering if I've completely lost it, (laughs) am I saying that there's definitively going to be space exploration on the new earth or that items as ordinary as desks and baseball bats will exist? I mean, no one can be 100% certain of that. What I am saying, though, is that when God gave Adam and Eve the earth, he expected them to develop it and cultivate it. And listen, there's coming a day that he's going to give us a new earth and a new heavens and expect the very same thing from us. There's no question about that. But this time, this time, we'll be totally unhindered by sin and we'll actually succeed in bringing him the glory that he deserves through those things, and especially our work. 
So that's number one, renewed work. The second promise is renewed relationships. We kind of alluded to this already in the way that we'll be able to work together. But the question becomes, will we really need or even desire relationship with each other? And I know this is a big question. This is, this is on a lot of people's minds when they think about heaven. Am I going to know this person? What about marriage? And there's, there's so many questions there. Well, let me say right away um, that in heaven, no one will distract us from God. No one will distract us from the beauty and the glory of Jesus. But let me add to that that we'll never experience any conflict between worshiping God himself and enjoying God's people. So here's what I mean by that. If you remember in the garden when it was just God and Adam, before Eve, as sufficient as that relationship must have been, what did God say? He said, this is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so he started making uh, the animals, right? He started making the birds. And, but none of them were really suitable uh, as a helpmate for Adam. So God made Eve. And uh, this is cool. Some translations of the Bible tell us that Adam's response to that was, at last. <laughs> I almost hear him singing that, that old song, at last, right? <clears throat> Super interesting. This is pre-fall Adam. He's never sinned. And uh, it's just God and, God and him. And God said, this isn't good, that, that you're alone. And what that's telling us is that God designed us to need each other. Right? We're made in his image. And he's been existing in community with himself as a triune God since before time even began. And so if needing each other turned a not good thing in Eden into a good thing, why would we expect God to change that on the new earth? In fact, I expect that our relationships and our friendships will be far deeper uh, then than they are now. And as many of you know, Jesus taught us that there won't be marriage on the new earth, at least not in the way that we understand it now. Instead, there's this profound mystery that, that Paul talks about in terms of the way that our marriages um, actually point to a greater marriage that's to come between Christ and his bride, which is us. Can we fully understand what that means? No. <laughs> it, it's, that's a mystery. But, but that little kind of trepidation in our hearts, do you sense that, married folks? That, that I'm sure some of us are feeling right now that, that doesn't love the idea of uh, no marriage in heaven. What I can say is that our marriages now were never meant to replace heaven. They were just meant to prepare us for it. And Jesus said the institution of marriage would end, but he never indicated that the deep relationships and the deep bonds that we form in marriage would end. He never said that. So what this means is that we don't have to worry. We don't have to be sad or scared that we won't know each other or that deep, meaningful relationships with spouses or friends or family will somehow be forgotten or they'll be cut off. In fact, I think they'll be what we always hoped they would be. So uh, the truth is some of us have endured an awful lot of pain and horrific hurt caused by some of the, some people that, that have been closest to us, even family, people who are supposed to be trusted, 
right, have caused unthinkable uh, emotional and, and sometimes physical abuse. And for many of us, it's just been a lifetime of, of brokenheartedness and twisted relationships and confusion and hurt. And those are horrible scars that, that stay with us. But I want you to remember, God's promise is to make all things new. Nothing's lost. Jesus says he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Not only that, but in Mark 10, he says that anyone who follows him will gain brothers and sisters and mothers and children. So listen, those deep desires that we have for family are God-given. And I believe will be utterly fulfilled in heaven and on the new earth. We'll eat together. We'll share stories together. And we'll love each other and we'll love God like we never quite could but always wished we had. Those are renewed relationships. So what's our third promise this morning? The third is renewed bodies. Renewed bodies. So if we're going to have renewed work and renewed relationships, we really are going to need renewed bodies, right? That only makes sense. Let's look again at our scripture passage for today out of Isaiah 65. This is verse 20. Check this out. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they've lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. And I think it's so easy to forget that God never intended us to die. He never meant for our bodies to break down and end up losing their vitality and their strength. Instead, that happened as a result of the curse, right? The curse that was released on all of creation. And and when we think about the fall, and many times we kind of think about that, what, what that's done to us spiritually, right? And it did. It separated us from God in a, in a spiritual sense, but it also separated us from him in a very physical sense as well. You guys talked about that a little bit last week. God and man could no longer exist, coexist. We kind of needed these separate spaces now. So when you think about that, and you think about what we lost in that moment, it was more than just our spiritual connection with God. It was our vitality, and it was our health, and it was our beauty. Randy Alcorn says, don't forget that the most beautiful person you've ever seen is under the curse. Now, I know it's hard to believe that uh, Pastor Jared Berry could be any better looking than he is right now. But it's true. And if that's true, then Adam and Eve must have been stunning, right? They must have been stunningly beautiful. And here's the thing. They were designed to grow in beauty. That makes sense, right? Not decay like we do. There's just so many passages where Paul is just insistent that we'll have resurrected bodies, That'll be like Jesus's. In Romans 8, he says that we groan inwardly as we await the redemption of our bodies. And so when Jesus talks about making all things new, it very much includes our bodies. Paul said that if Jesus wasn't resurrected in the physical sense, then we're still in our sin, which means we're headed for hell, not heaven. So not only is he our forebearer in that sense, Jesus, but, but also he's the giver of that new life, that new physical life and vitality. 
<clears throat> There's a portion of uh, the book, The Silver Chair, from the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, that just captures this so beautifully. And of course, the Christ figure in that story is the great lion, Aslan. And toward the end of that book, uh, the children find themselves witnessing something that I think will really resonate with you and I this morning. It says, uh, they were walking beside the stream and the lion went before them and he became so beautiful and the music so despairing that Jill did not know which of them it was that filled her eyes with tears. Then Aslan stopped and the children looked into the stream and there on the golden gravel of the bed of the stream lay King Caspian dead. With the water flowing over him like liquid glass, his long white beard swayed in it like waterweed. And all three stood and wept. Even the lion wept. Great lion tears, each tear more precious than the earth would be <clears throat> if it was a single solid diamond. Son of Adam, said Aslan, go into that thicket and pluck the thorn you will find there and bring it to me. Eustace obeyed. The thorn was a foot long and as sharp as a sword. <clears throat> Drive it into my paw, son of Adam, said Aslan, holding up his right forepaw and spreading out the great pad towards Eustace. Must I, said Eustace? Yes, said Aslan. Then Eustace set his teeth and he drove the thorn into the lion's pad and there came out a great drop of blood, redder than any redness that you have ever seen or imagined. And it splashed into the stream over the dead body of the king. At the same moment, the sad music stopped and the dead king began to be changed. His white beard turned to gray and from gray to yellow, it got shorter and vanished altogether. And his sunken cheeks grew round and fresh and the wrinkles were smooth and his eyes opened and his eyes and his lips both laughed. And suddenly he leapt up and stood before them, a very young man. And he rushed to Aslan and he flung his arms as far as they would go around the huge neck. And he gave Aslan the strong kisses of a king and Aslan gave him the wild kisses of a lion. Ooh, such a powerful image. And of course, Lewis here is alluding to the kind of bodily renewal that only comes from being uh, uh, cleansed under the blood of Jesus. Remember, Jesus' resurrection and his bodily renewal are first fruits. They're first fruits, right? That's, that's like a first installment on a resurrection that's to come. And you know whose that is? It's ours. It's ours. It's mine, and it's yours. You know, ultimately, I think stories like the one that Lewis tells in The Silver Chair resonate with us so deeply because our hearts so desperately want that to be true. And this one is. The story of the renewal of all things really is true, even our bodies. Maybe you've heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. And uh, she's a wonderful Christian author and speaker who suffered a terrible swimming 
accident when she was 18 that turned her into a paraplegic, quadriplegic actually, totally paralyzed from the neck down. And uh, Johnny talks about this horrible anger and this depression, even suicidal thoughts after her accident. Of course, it's hard to imagine how difficult it must be, right, to have full control of your body for 18 years and then lose it instantly. But listen to her thoughts here on the new body she'll have. She says, I I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers and atrophied muscles and gnarled knees and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light and bright and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsied or or brain injured or who has MS. Imagine the hope this gives someone who's manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. And here's what this means, guys. The hope that we've been talking about is a complete hope. It's full renewal. It's full renewal. Soul, spirit, but also new bodies. No more disease. No more pain. No more viruses. Absolutely no more of the heartache that comes with that stuff. The amount of loss that we've suffered at the hands of sin and death is almost too much to bear. But listen, one day it's all going to come untrue. It's hard to imagine that one day God is really going to do it. He's really going to do it. He's really going to renew all things, our work, our relationships, our bodies, and undo all the pain. But it's true. It's true. And that's the wild hope that we as Christians latch our hearts onto. Yeah, we latch our hearts onto that. What an incredible hope that is. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning. God, we're uh, just astounded. I mean, we're just astounded by your word, by the promises that we find there of the renewal of all things, of heaven descending one day, of a renewed earth, of lives shared together in new, meaningful, and deep relationship with one another. Oh, my. What an incredible, incredible thing to consider and think about, to be able to be with you for eternity on a restored earth. It's almost too much to imagine. But God, we do consider that this morning because you've told us to, and it's your spirit that brings these things to mind. We're so grateful for your Holy Spirit that does that, that helps us to envision these things, to see a more complete and beautiful picture of Christ and all that he's done, all that was accomplished on that cross and through the resurrection of Jesus, which will one day be our resurrection. How beautiful, how beautiful. We're so grateful to be called your children today under your great care and great love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.